heart, you know every life in this room. And Father, I pray that you would open, you would help each heart be open to your word tonight. And Holy Spirit, that you would take this word and make it powerful on the inside of every single person in this room, including me. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 58, looked at this briefly this morning on the back of sharing about uh, our time in India. For those who weren't there this morning, it was one of the blessings was to be able to minister with Joshua Pillai, who I know f- uh, for um, Alan and a number of the guys involved with the prayer team who stood with him. This is a guy who had four-stage pancreatic cancer, was given weeks to live, now he's completely clear, no cancer at all, and serving God powerfully. So it was, a, it was a miracle to sit with a guy who should be dead but is alive. And, uh, and thank you all for standing with him. I know many stood with him in prayer. And he's just looking forward to the next, he says, the next 20 years of doing amazing things for God. He's the kind of guy that has a 20-year plan. So praise the Lord for people like that. We need them in the church. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Isaiah 58, I want to just look at quite a lot of this chapter. If we get time, we'll just see how time goes. But basically, from verse 6, there's a response from the Holy Spirit to the people of God, which was at that time the the Jews or the Israelites that were in exile at the time. Uh, But this word is for us as well. Because everything from Genesis to Revelation is for our instruction. So even though God was speaking to his people hundreds of years ago, it's actually like he's speaking to us right now as well. In fact, he is. He takes this beautiful word, this supernatural scripture, and applies it to our lives and powerfully changes them. So we're going to look at at this tonight. Verse 6. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to set the oppressed free, that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you clothe them and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. And you shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. There's, There's three parts to this scripture I'm about to read. In every part, God makes some promises, and they're conditional promises on us doing certain things. There are so many unconditional promises in the scripture. God will always love you. But there are also conditional promises. And those conditional promises are there for us to co-labor with God. So it's like God says, if you do this, I'll do that. And those things are still in effect. Even though we're in New Testament Christianity, so many of the promises God is looking for are response to them. He's not looking for a passive people. He's looking for a people that respond to his interests and actually want to go about doing what he wants them to do. God is looking for partnership. And this scripture is about, is, is a challenge to the people of God 
to take their eyes off themselves or even off their religion and focus on God's heart and God's interests. It's a powerful scripture. We looked at the first part of the chapter this morning, so I'm picking up from verse 6. And God's fasting, the kind of sacrifice, if you want to term the word fasting as sacrifice, the kind of sacrifice God is looking for from his people is to go about setting people free. I said this morning that, that sometimes as Christians in our insecurity, there's a need to be needed. You know, so we gather people to ourselves and, and we become their oracle and, and without, without us, they cannot function. That's not God's heart. That's actually taking people from one kind of oppression and putting them in another kind of oppression. What God wants us to do is free people and give them the tools to free, be free. The tools that God has given people to be free are his word, his presence, his church, his, and, and, and to, to be part of what he wants to do. And, and God wants us completely free, every yoke broken, every chain gone. He wants us completely free. And so often there's been such a focus, and rightly so, on getting the church freed up, but God wants us to free the world up. You know, when you look at our society, when you look at what's happening around you know, whether people put their faith in another politician, uh, whether they put their faith in uh, the bankers or the finance sector or politicians, really all that is going to come shattering down. But what we have, the faith that we have in Christ, that word will stand forever. We stand on a solid rock. And <clears throat> one thing that uh, we found in church ministry and one thing we've We've said to our kids, um, especially after 10 years of ministry in Coventry and now nearly four years up here, we said to Sophie and to Joel particularly, the youngest one is uh, still not comprehending everything. She comprehends a lot, but not everything. I said this morning that her favorite uh, phrase at the moment, so forgive her if you hear it, she's learned it from her brother, is dog poo. So she's going around saying dog poo a lot at the moment, so that's really can be a little bit embarrassing in certain situations, but she's picked that up from her brother. Um, <clears throat> God bless him. But basically, <clears throat> we've said to them, look, you know, because of the nature of what mommy and daddy do, there'll be people who come in your life and people who go out of your life. But we'll always be there for you. You may get to know people and then you don't see them for a long time. And, and it's really sad because you build relationship with them. But actually, mummy and daddy will always be with you. And just like we say that to our kids, the father says that to you. And so often, brothers and sisters, we've put our trust in a Christian who may seem to have all the answers, or a leader who may seem to have all the answers, or somebody that, that's on a, on a pedestal for us that, that we, we, we think, wow, they're amazing and we must follow what they say, and we must drink from their cup of wisdom. And there's nothing wrong with that to a degree. But if that person replaces Jesus in our lives, then there is something wrong with it. If we start getting offended for that person, instead of going for the interests of God, then we have a problem. And God wants us to, to realize that no matter how amazing you think somebody is, whether it's somebody in this church, whether it's somebody on TV, whether it's somebody that is discipling you, they will have their faults. Everybody has faults. Every single person 
on the face of the earth. There's only one person that is the faultless one, and that is Jesus. And he says to you and me, take up your cross and follow me. Not follow a version of me, follow me. And as leaders, as preachers and teachers, we have to give people the tools from the word. We have to get people excited to get in the word themselves. We have to allow people to encounter God's presence so that it gives them a desire for a personal relationship with Jesus. A relationship that is real, that is vulnerable, that is non-religious, that really is life, so that when the tough times come, they will be able to stand. And you know what? Even if the tough times come and those people fall over, at least they'll be able to get up. God is not at all embarrassed. He's not at all put off. He's not all perturbed by our failings or our failures. He just doesn't want us to quit. There's a difference, isn't there? He doesn't want us to quit. One of the most awful acts of human activity is to commit suicide, isn't it? It's both a tragic event and a very selfish event. But that event is the ultimate, excuse my language, but the ultimate two fingers up to the Creator. To say, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this life. I'm going to quit. And God wants each one of you to know how high, how deep, how long and how wide is his love for you that never will give up on you, never walk out from you, that you will not quit. Like, Paul, like Jesus said to Peter, he said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He's, he's asked to come into your life and sift you as wheat. Why did that happen? Why, why did Satan ask that of Jesus? Well, Satan uses legalism to enter into our life. And remember, Peter was quite a proud guy. And the Bible says pride comes before a fall. So there was something in Peter's DNA and activity that had allowed the enemy a landing strip. And, and, and this contention between the enemy and Jesus. And the enemy said, I'm going to sift him like wheat. But Jesus says this to him, but I have prayed. <laughs> even in the midst of our failings, even when we think we've messed up, we've got somebody who always lives to intercede for us. It's not that person you put on the pedestal. It's Jesus. He is ever living to intercede for you. Ever loving you. Ever there for you. Will never fail you. Man. He is the chief intercessor. The one who stands in the gap. He didn't just stand in the gap for us on the cross. He continues to do that today. And he says to Peter, I have prayed that your faith will not fail. <laughs> you know if Jesus prays for you, you can guarantee that prayer is going to be answered. So Peter's faith did not fail. <laughs> he ended up being a pioneer, a foundation pillar to the church of Jesus Christ. 
when only a few weeks before he denied Jesus' very relationship. Can you imagine what grace, what kindness, what belief Peter must have enjoyed in his relationship with Jesus to go from the one who denied Jesus three times to the one a few weeks later who stood and proclaimed salvation to the whole world. That is awesome. When we grasp how much we are loved, when we grasp how much God is for us, we will want to be confident enough to go about breaking other people's chains and setting people free. When you have got something so wonderful, you want everybody else to know about it, don't you? Amen? So God wants the sacrifice of doing what he does. He wants us to go around breaking chains. Verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? He wants us not only to move in supernatural power to break chains, but he wants us to do practical things, to serve practically. And I want you guys to really pray and join with me because the building work has started and the roof work has started. But I I see visions of this place filled with people being helped spiritually, being helped physically. Uh, you know, I want, I want people to be, come in here. You know, there's, a, there's, there's something called the Golden Temple in India, in Amritsar. And it's a beautiful, beautiful temple. It's the Sikh, a Sikh temple. And the Sikhs, every single day, they feed hundreds and hundreds of people. In fact, the same thing happens in Sikh temples in, in, in our nation as well. And I'm thinking, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit perturbed for the Christian. But we, we're going to have the resource, not just one denomination of the church focus on that, but us, we can be involved in making sure people are spiritually fed and physically fed. We're going to do it, amen? amen. We're going to be involved in that. <clears throat> it's going to be really good. So God wants us to share his interests. You know, the Bible says that those who give to the poor lend to the Lord and he will repay them. Wow, that is kind of cool, isn't it? Those who give to the poor, lend to the Lord, and he will repay them. And it says that if we do these things, our light will break forth like the morning. Healing shall spring forth speedily. Our righteousness will go before us. We won't just be talking about our identity and talking about our right standing with God, but our right standing with God and our identity will produce evidences of God all around us if we share God's interests. Who wants to share God's interests? Anybody in the room? I believe every one of us wants to share his interests. Let's read on. Verse 10. Let's read verse uh, 9, sorry. Then you shall call and I will answer. You shall cry and I shall say, here I am. Listen to this. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall break forth in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a well-watered garden and like the spring of water whose waters do not fail Those from among you shall build the old desolate places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. 
and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is a powerful, powerful scripture. And it starts with a practical challenge. It says, if you take away the pointing of the finger, I'm pointing my finger at you because I'm offended with your behavior. Even though I don't know what your behavior is, but Auntie Nellie's told me about your behavior. So therefore, Auntie Nellie is always right because she's my discipler, and therefore I'm pointing my finger at you on the basis of that evidence. And you see, it's just foolishness that the church is engaged in, that the enemy has spun the church round and round to point fingers at each other, to maliciously speak about each other. Well, brother, I'm giving you this information about Brother Wayne so you can pray for him in your own time. Have you noticed they never get to praying for Wayne in their own time? They're too busy telling everybody else about Wayne. This pointing of the finger and this malicious, wicked speech. God doesn't own it. He doesn't want anything to do with it. In fact, it's an abomination to him. He hates it. When somebody gives you a piece of information about somebody that's negative, practically do this in your heart. Jesus, what do you think about that person? In that moment, pray that prayer. In that moment, inquire of the Lord. Well, yes, we need to inquire of the Lord how judgment will come on brother so-and-so because of the things they've done. Judgment. No. Inquire what does God think of that person. What does God think of them? <clears throat> the more and more you fall in love with Jesus, the more and more you fall in love with people. Not just people you love or you like, but people. One of the things we, we really enjoy watching, forgive me for my 21st century superficial culture, but I do enjoy watching programs like The Voice, Britain's Got Talent, things like that. Oh, uh, I like documentaries. That's great. You enjoy your documentaries. But I, I like to just chill out sometimes and watch something that doesn't take much thinking about. And those things don't take much thinking about. But what they do is they always touch my heart because there's somebody who may not look like the star, somebody who may not have the confidence, somebody who may have been overlooked for many, many years. And when that God-given talent comes out of them, you can hear a pin drop. You think that's a, a star is born. And I love that. You know, I don't know about you, but everything you do, God does it with you. Now, God watches telly when you watch telly. Does he? Yeah, he does. So be careful what you watch. God watches telly when you watch telly. And I, I, I get the impression that the Holy Spirit enjoys those programs. He enjoys seeing people at their best. He enjoys seeing people move in the talents that he's given them. He enjoys seeing people move in the gifts that he's given them. He enjoys that. So what we do in the church is, is we say, okay, you've got these gifts. So imagine if, if, if that panel of coaches was sometimes church people. And I can, you know, we've all been there. We've all had these thoughts. So I'm not saying anything that you may not have thought. But this is the culture that's been at times. It's been, 
whoa, wow, they're really amazing. And you know these coaches on the, on the program, they say, I'm going to help you this way, I'm going to help you that way, I'm going to get you into this thing and this thing and let's go for it. And you need to respond and you need to work hard, but you'll end up be with me in it, but I'm going to go for it. Instead of saying that, I'd be like, wait 20 years. Let's see him go through some suffering to see if the gift can be perfected. Let, let's see, let's, let, let's, let's let them learn from, from, from Brother Sudududu, who's going to really help them grow their character by being really mean to them. Let, let's do stuff like that. No, that's not what God wants. He wants, think about this, Hebrews chapter 12. It says that we have a great cloud of witnesses in the heavenlies cheering us on. Abram, Moses, Deborah, Barak, David, Samson, Ruth, all the patriarchs, all those wonderful men and women that have gone before, that have sacrificed so much over the centuries. You can name them, each one of them. They're in the grandstands looking on. And God doesn't allow them to see your failures. God allows them to see your successes. And when they see your successes in God, they start cheering. Go on, Karen. Go for it. We're with you. Can you imagine that? The Bible says there's no division between the church in heaven and the church on earth. So we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Does that mean when, when I'm doing something I shouldn't do, you know, Paul's watching me? No, he's not. Because God's not into that. But God allows them to see when you do what Peter did and share the gospel. He allow, and they go, go on, go for it. Because that's what heaven is like. Heaven is not a negative place. Heaven is not a place where people feel down and worthless. Heaven is a place where people are celebrated and not just tolerated. And the amazing thing is, when we start to do that as, as a culture, as we start to ce- not celebrate people's childishness, not celebrate people's mistakes, but actually cover people's childness and, and, and childishness and mistakes, but actually celebrate who they are in God, celebrate their potential, cele- see them realize their potential. When we start to do that, we are doing the very work of Jesus, and we are sacrificing our lives to do this. My wife and I, in our, <clears throat> since I got back from India and we, I was here working for a few days and then we went on a holiday. During our holiday, we really had some good times to chat because we had, <laughs> we had two babysitters, my mother and <laughs> step, stepfather. So we had some good times to chat and we prayed and we, we just really feel that we know that there's a lot of turmoil going on in the church, but we both feel very, very strongly that the Holy Spirit brought us here to this place. And if we can just, in our weak way, if we can just be a father and a mother to lead you to the ultimate father and mother, so you have an intimate relationship with him, and we can help you in any way on that way, that, that is something that we're willing to give everything for, and we have given everything for, because that's what we believe we're called to. There are many superstars in Christianity, and I am not one of them, but I am somebody that wants to carry the Father's heart to a fatherless generation. And I believe that's the mandate of this church. 
I believe we are to carry the father's heart to a fatherless generation. We are to carry the mother heart of God to a motherless generation because all this anger, all this rebellion in our society is because of a lack of love and a lack of fatherlessness, a lack of fatherhood, sorry, a lack of motherhood. It's because people have trained people in religion instead of training them in the life of the father. I want the people who come in in the next few years, and they will be many of them, the people that come into our gatherings, the people that come into our life groups, the people that come into our events, the people we go out and, and share the love of the Father with, I want those people not to be grasped by religious people and discipled in a religious view of God, a view of God, what do I mean by religious? A view that binds them, a view that restricts them, a view that doesn't show how good God is and how limitless his plan and his life for us is. I don't want that to be the case. And therefore, there is going to be adjustment amongst us as a church because I want each one of us, each person that comes, to be able to reach their potential. Now, that's down to the individual as well. That's down to the free will of the individual. You can draw a horse to water, but you can't necessarily make them drink. But you can make sure you get them to the water. The problem has been in the church a lot of the time. The horse gets to the water. We say, no, the water's not for you. You know what I mean? It's for somebody else, somebody greater, somebody better, somebody more qualified. No, the water of life is for everybody. And Jesus said that if you come to him, out of your innermost being would flow rivers of living water. So it's time that we are able to sacrifice our agenda, it's time to sacrifice what we see to be about our father's business and carry the father's heart to a fatherless generation. I've run out of time. And I want to say this in conclusion. Just go down with me to <clears throat> verse 13. In the next few verses, the writer talks about the Sabbath. And uh, <clears throat> the Sabbath, Jesus said he was the Lord of the Sabbath, or he is the fulfillment of it. In fact, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. That's what the New Testament tells us. So Sabbath equals rest. This is not like snoring, <laughs> Sabbath, you know, resting under the duvet. Sabbath is an internal rest. S sorry, I, I snore. I'm trying to get, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm believing for healing. My wife is really interceding for healing. <clears throat> but we're getting there. <laughs> so, but it's internal rest. It's internal rest. God wants us to find more and more in internal rest in his presence. But this is what we do. Listen to this. So when, when we look at Sabbath here, it's talking about the rest on the inside. Okay? If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, verse 13, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and you shall honor him, not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasure, not speaking your own words. So there's a challenge here that God gives, isn't it? He's saying, look, I've given you in Jesus rest. I've given you in Jesus peace. For goodness sake, for God's sake, and for your sake, stop trying to find it everywhere else. Okay. God has been, been showing something to me, and I, I didn't share it this morning, but I think it's right to share it now. I, I really... 
I had a vision of <clears throat> many, many Christians, and I didn't recognize individual Christians, but I knew there were a, a bunch of well-meaning Christian people that loved God. And in the vision, I um, saw them placing a, a, a material on their heart, like a, a, a pulse, a, you know, like a, a cream or something, just on their heart, just keep placing this cream on their heart. And, and every time they were in a bad circumstance or every time that they would um, be in, 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 in distress or emotional turmoil or grief, they'd place this cream on their heart and they'd feel better for a moment, but then they'd have to keep replacing it. And then they'd find other people. And these people, I, I saw their faces. And you know, <clears throat> you know, it's the kind of people that when you meet them, they, they ooze pseudo-pastoral ministry. What do I mean? They've got that sort of sympathetic head tilt. Oh, I'm better than you, and you need me. Oh, you know that kind of person? Have you ever met them? Anyway, I've met them quite a lot in my life. But anyway, so these, and th these people, what they were doing is they were, they were putting the cream on these people more. But they, they didn't have a little, little tube of cream. They had a big amount of cream. And they were placing this, on the, not just on the heart, but obscuring their whole being. This is what you need. This is what you need. And I said, Father, what is this cream? And he said, it's... it's Religion. It's unadulterated, pharisaical, whitewashed tomb, brood of vipers, religion. And the sad thing is that the people administering the cream to themselves and to others think that that's going to change the heart. And then the Lord opened a vision where I saw the state of the heart. And under that cream, under that application, there was death, there was decay, and there was illness in the heart. And I, 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 in this vision, I was just sort of, Lord, this is... And, I, and it was like these, this bunch of Christians became like zombies, you know, the walking dead. And they were singing Christian songs and they were listening to sermons and they were going about doing Christian things and they were placing this religion on the heart. It made them feel better for a moment, but it didn't actually change the heart. And I remembered, in that moment, I remembered the way that Marge Russell interpreted the last two verses of Psalm 139. And remember, if you're in some of those meetings here that she did, let's go there. Keep your place in Isaiah 58. Can you manage five more minutes? <clears throat> Keep your place in Isaiah 58 and go to Psalm 139. Verse 20. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of life or the way everlasting, the way eternal life. So one interpretation of that last verse is not see if there is any wicked way in me, but see if there is any hurt and pain in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I really believe, brothers and sisters, that entering into the rest of God is allowing him to completely remove that salve of religion that just covers and doesn't cleanse 
to completely remove a law-based thinking and a pharisaical, competition-based, orphan spirit-based thinking that's in our heart, allowing him to say, search me, O God. So when we're worshiping together, when we're worshiping on our own, the Lord Jesus, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there is any hurt and pain in me and lead me in the way of life. When we start to live that way, instead of allowing other people to put the salve of religion on us, when we come before God with that simple, humble response, He's always going to heal our heart. He's always going to bring us the Sabbath rest. And he's always going to then say, son, daughter, just be about my business. And when you get hurt, and when you get offended, and when people don't treat you well, don't hold it. Don't let a root of bitterness go up. Just come back to me. Let me take it away. Because you weren't designed. You weren't designed to cope with that stuff. I never intended you to be hurt. I never intended you to be abused. But I gave men free will and men used that for evil. I intended only good for you. And I want you to just come to me and I want you to allow me to heal you everywhere you hurt and take away the pain, every accusation against you, every curse against you, every awful wicked work that's come against your heart to make bitterness and resentment and offense grow. I want to take it away because you weren't designed to cope with that. Didn't I say, cast your burden onto me, for I care for you. Cast your burden onto me, for I care for you. So in Isaiah 58, you flip back there, it says that, don't turn away from that rest. Don't turn away from that process and let religion be placed on you. Let other things try and fill the void. Only Jesus, only his love can fill the void. And if you don't turn away from that and you will really allow him in, there's a promise at the end of that chapter that says this, then you will ride on the high places of the earth. You know the vision that I had that I shared with you came to me while I was in on the plane coming back from India, riding on the high places of the earth. <laughs> How cool is that? He will cause you to ride on the high places of the earth. And the other promise is this, and you will feed on the inheritance of Jacob. What was Jacob's inheritance? Everything that Abram had. He was Abram's grandson. You know what Abram's inheritance is? According to Romans chapter 4, Abram's inheritance is that he was due to inherit the entire world. Okay? Why does God want us to come into Sabbath rest, to allow him to work on our heart, to allow him to make us all that we can be? Why does he want to do that? Because he wants us to inherit the world because he can trust his children with the world. This is bigger than local church, isn't it? Even though local church is part of the plan. Listen to this. Romans 8. It says the whole of creation longs for the sons of God to be revealed because God subjected creation to frustration. When would that happen? Because of the fall 
He said, cursed is the ground because of the fall, because of Adam's, what Adam did. He was subjected to, to frustration in hope that it would come into, this is Romans 8, the glorious liberty of the children of God. God wants such liberty and life to come out of you and me that it changes the whole world. Can you imagine that? Instead of imagining, oh God, please please help me, my, my ankle's a bit upset. That's great. God will heal your ankle. But start to imagine more. Beyond what you can ask or imagine, he can do. He wants to use you and me powerfully. Just imagine, I've said it before, we've had in the last 80 days three terrorist attacks in our nation. A relative rang me just before going to India because I was traveling with a Middle Eastern airline. And this relative said to me, are you not a bit afraid about traveling in a Middle Eastern airline? What if there's a bomber on it? This is, this is true. And I said, well, everybody in that plane will be okay because I'm on that plane. That's not arrogance. That's boasting in Jesus. Boasting in Jesus. Can you imagine a situation if there was a terrorist attack of any nature in our town or in anywhere where any of you were? Imagine not just fighting against the terrorists, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, just as Paul was, he was a terrorist, Paul was a terrorist, knocked him off his horse, didn't he? Jesus knocked him off his horse, and he said, Lord, it's a good job he did, Lord, and then he, he got converted and became one of the greatest apostles there's ever been. Some of these people that are devout for Islamic fundamentalism, I believe some of them are going to be so transformed by the love of God that they're going to take the gospel to the nations in a, in a most fearless way than we can ever imagine. So please, please, please don't condemn. Please don't judge. Please don't uh, bring rhetoric that is, 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 is unfitting for you as a child of God, but believe in their potential in God. Believe that they can be turned around. And if, brothers and sisters, if we're in that position ever, I believe, that supernatural power would flow from you and me to prevent that atrocity happening. So we need to take back our streets. What does it say? It says that we will be repairers of the breach, restorers of streets to dwell in. Have you heard of Street Pastors? Beautiful organization. I really believe Keith, we need some Street Pastors. We're going to see that happen in the next few years. I'm really excited. I could go on all night, but then you would need a sleeping bag and some strong coffee, so I'm going to stop there. Father God, thank you for every person in this room. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would be inspired to be vulnerable with you, to open their hearts, to let you heal them and bring them into your plan to be a co-worker with you, to restore creation back to your intention, for the whole world is waiting for them to be revealed.